you so much. Give us your word today. Lord, help, us, help me to be clear, be concise. Lord, we need you. We need you today. And um, we commit this time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife and I, Aileen and I, need prayer, really good, concentrated prayer, because next Sunday, a week from today, we start our Sandy Creek Bible Camp, and it's not like you Americans do it, right? Girls, and then boys, and then junior varsity, and then whatever you do. (laughs) This is everybody at the same time, right? This is family camp in parallel with kids camp and in parallel with, with, uh, what, uh, with, with teenager camp. Uh, and there's a reason why we do that, but mainly because we are crazy and we, we, we need prayer for survival starting. But we have a great group, already 100 people there signed up. We're going to be a great, maybe, maybe the, the biggest group ever. So please pray for the Lopez's. All right, that was a commercial. Okay, I'm not the usual preacher here, I'm, in, I'm invited. Thank you so much for letting me uh, fill in for John Tillery. Let us go to John chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9 is my assigned passage for today. And this is, I believe, this is the only time in which we see Jesus interacting with his own brothers, his own half-brothers, if you want to call them, the sons and, of Mary, his mother, right? So this is, gives us a glimpse into the family dynamics of Jesus, right? And we're going to see that there are some bad vibes going on between Jesus and his siblings, Okay. Kind of like the Lopez household sometimes, right? I mean, the siblings are not all the time on the same page. Here we go. So I'm going to go verse by verse and make some comments on each, each of those. You, you ready? John 7. This, uh, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, meaning Jerusalem, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Notice that. Jesus was unwilling to walk in Jerusalem because uh, the, the Jews were seeking to kill them and he knew the Jews were seeking to kill them. Please don't understand John as saying here that Jesus was afraid of getting killed. That's not what John is trying to say, right? I mean, he came, Jesus came to earth with the express purpose of getting killed. That was part of the deal in salvation history between father and son, you know, in eternity past. So Jesus knew he was going to get killed. The, the issue that we're going to see here is that Jesus didn't want to do it before his time. He didn't want to go to Jerusalem on the terms, listen, that his siblings were presenting to him. Right? Verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, of the feast of tabernacles, was near. And so... This is the backdrop. The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents was one of the big three festivals of Israel, right? Two in the spring, right? Passover and Pentecost or weeks. And then in the fall, there was this Feast of uh, Tabernacles in which every religious, decent, 
adult male was supposed to walk and do the trek up to Jerusalem for eight days that feast. So that's the backdrop for the exchange between Jesus and his own siblings. So, there are three main things, I think, in the passage. Uh, there are three main ideas that I think merits for us, merit for us to go into today. There's the issue of unbelief. The issue of unbelief. His own brothers did not believe in him. Then there's the issue of time in the passage. Jesus talks about your time and my time, the wrong time, the right time. And then number three, the issue of the world and the enmity between the world system uh, towards Jesus and what Jesus represented to be, right? So remember those three points. Those of you who like outlines, that's my outline for today. Roman numeral one is unbelief. Roman numeral two is time. Roman numeral three is the issue of the world. So let's, 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 let's go. Verse three. Verse three. So his brother said to him, Move on from here and go into Judea so that your disciples, I think meaning your disciples over there in Jerusalem, in Judea, also may see your works which you're doing here in Galilee, north of Israel. Right? For no one does anything in secret when he himself is striving to be known publicly. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John adds this verse, this editorial comment, verse 5, John says, For not even his brothers believed in him. The question of unbelief. So some people are not buying Jesus' message right now in this passage. And it's particularly disheartening that his own siblings are not buying his message, are not believing in him. And this statement is a big deal in John. Because the whole premise, the whole predicate of of John's gospel is John writing all these things so that people will in fact believe in Christ, right? That John says that as the purpose of his book in chapter 20. I think we have it on the screen. John says, I have, there's so many more things that Jesus did, but I have uh, chosen not to include, include those other things. But the things that I have included in my book, that I have carefully selected, I have done so with the express purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, number one. Jesus is the Christ, Hebrew Mashiach, right? The anointed one, the one we've been waiting for for centuries, the fulfillment of all all, all Old Testament prophecies, the guy that was going, it's going to save Israel from his enemies, its enemies, and so forth. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the anointed one. But it also, number two, you need to believe that this anointed one is in fact also divine. He is the Son of God. Those two things, says John, that are needed, they're not the same. <laughs> we, treated them, we treat them as the same. So that you can have eternal life. So the verb believe, I just want to harp on the word believe. You may be here for the first time. 
And so the word believe that you may be thinking of may be different from the usage of the word believe, the verb believe in the New Testament. Okay? 83 times in my version of the Bible. I'm, I'm doing this the, on the NASB. 83 times in John, we, we see this verb to believe, to believe, to believe. More than three times, more than the other three Gospels combined. John is all about believing, believing, believing. He came as a witness, verse uh, chapter 1, 7, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. One twelve. but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. In chapter 1 of John, because John carefully constructs his book up to now, chapter 7, to show that in fact many people, individuals, families, people groups, in fact are coming to a saving faith of the identity of this Jewish rabbi, right? Chapter 1, Galileans believe. In fact, one of them, Nathaniel, believes even almost even before meeting Jesus. And Jesus commands Nathaniel, you believe because I just told you that you were under a fig tree a few hours ago. Wow. You will now see greater things, Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel is the prototype of, of us in a way. First we believe, then we see. As opposed to Thomas, who needed to see to then believe, right? So Nathaniel believed. In chapter 2, his disciples believed after the wedding at Cana and the sign of converting the water into wine. Chapter 3, a very Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, prominent rabbi, Nicodemus, believed. In chapter 4, a Samaritan woman believed. And a bad woman at that, in that same passage, the whole town of Samaritans believed. A royal official believed. But, but let me get this straight. And you, siblings, you don't believe in your own brother? That, that, that's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. Jesus' brothers are not believing in him. How sad. Think, think about it. They, they, they grew up together. <laughs> they played marbles on the floor together. They played hide and seek around the house. They ate at the same table. They listened to the same stuff. They knew Jesus. It's not that they could say, oh, Jesus, oh, no, we don't want to have anything. You, your, character, your character stinks. We know who you are. No. They knew his character. They knew who he was. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, right? That that's what happened. But they did not believe. When do you not believe someone? Some of us here today may be having still trouble with believing in, in this message. And I would love for you to, as a consequence of this little meditation, for you to come to believe. Belief in the biblical sense, right? So there's two elements to belief, at least, I think. First, you have to believe in the identity of someone to then believe in his message, right? If you don't believe in the messenger first, you won't believe the message. 
And that was pretty much the problem of his brothers. They did not believe that Jesus, their brother, was, quote, the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And so, of course, his message just fell on deaf ears. The issue of belief. Are you battling with belief today? We can take this to the, uh, both on the human plane of personal relationships. Let's think about our families for a second. How sad it is that the people closest to you, right? The people that you most love sometimes don't believe you. that, That hurts. That hurts. You may be giving some counsel. You may be voicing your opinion and love. You're carefully measuring your words with pure motives and it falls in deaf ears. Have you had that happen to you? Maybe it's your spouse. I mean, maybe it's your kid. I've heard my wife say many times to my kids, listen to me, I'm your mother. Listen to me, I'm your dad. Why don't you believe me, kid? Why don't you believe me? And then I think of myself, I also didn't believe my parents when I was growing up. We don't believe because you may not be believing today because of many reasons. You don't believe in the identity of Jesus. Okay. Maybe the message of Jesus is just too hard. The implications of this message of Christianity, you know it's going to cut you through the bone and you say, "Ah, no. And so all the walls start going up, right? You don't believe Jesus because you may say he has bad intentions. He's not sincere. There are many reasons why people don't believe in the Lord Jesus. In, and imagine how Jesus felt when his own siblings. The people you would think, you would think they would say, I'm with you because I know you. I grew up with you, right? They did not believe. Now, we know that the story gets better in time. Two of his brothers, in fact, do, do believe in time. Two of his brothers, I think their names were uh, Jude is one, and uh, James is the other one. They, in fact, they wrote two books in the New Testament, right? Now, we can also put this on the spiritual plane. Listen, this is, I'm talking to myself here. I may be about to, to hurt your feelings a little bit, so I can, I'm tough. But I'm talking to myself here. Unbelief can creep on us if we're not careful. A seed of unbelief can creep on us. Unbelief has in a crisis of belief. I have talked to, in the past, let's say after COVID, to many more Christians and believers that I, talking to them, they seem to be going through a very desperate, silent crisis of belief. Maybe that's you today. Unbelief can creep on us if we are not careful. What causes a crisis of unbelief? A crisis of belief. What causes it? I'm saying this with all humility. I'm saying this because I am fully aware of the times that we're living in. Right? You feel there's something different about these times. Darkness is closing in. 
Darkness is getting darker. Darkness is getting thicker. Oh my. And you, and you start saying, this is the first time in my life that I'm actually afraid. That, that I, I actually feel that, that, that Lord, I, I, I don't see you working anywhere. Lord, I don't see you working in this country. Lord, I don't see you working in the church. Lord, I don't see you working in my family. Lord, and so our belief system may be shaking a little bit here. That's a very dangerous place to be, right? There is more and more data. There's more and more information that your mind may be collecting at this point that it may be getting harder for your belief system, my belief system, to make sense of. And I suppose there may be someone here that is keenly feeling that tension that is being tempted to let go. And I know, you know, one of the things I, meant, I, I, I realized, and I, I think I see, is that when people and believers start cherry-picking what they believe and what they don't believe, it's a sure sign that there is a tension there. Do you feel tempted to start cherry-picking different contents of the Christian faith, but not others because they are offensive? Be careful. You may be in a more fragile position than you think. You used to believe, for example, in the inerrancy of Scripture. Let me give you two or three examples. So yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm fully aware you may not want to hear what I have to say. That's okay. But you, but, and I'm talking to believers, not to visitors. I, I don't know you, but some of us that, that we know from a long time. You used to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. But no, not, now you're not that sure. Maybe, I don't know. See, and the, once the dominoes falls, <laughs> other dominoes start falling. You used to believe that there are only two sexes, two genders, like boy and girl. Could there be there more permutations than that? Be careful, if you let that domino fall, it will impact other dominoes. You used to believe that God, for example, is all-powerful on one side and, and all-loving on the other side, and then new information came in. You got sick, some troubles, trials, tribulations, and now you're saying, is God all-powerful? Or is God all-loving? But Lord, if you're not answering my prayer, how can I say I have a tension of belief? How can you be all powerful at the same time that you are all loving? Lord, no, you, no, God is both. God is both. Don't let that thing go. Don't let that thing go. All right, so maybe you still don't believe at all and don't want to believe. I read this little example, very, very silly. You're like the guy who went skydiving one day, right? I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm just... So you're on the, the plane, your instructor hands you a parachute and, and asks, do you believe the parachute will work? <laughs> you say, sure, I think it will work. Well, put it on. <laughs> and his, he sees that you're hesitating a little. Come on, I'll jump with you, he says. Do you believe in me? 
Maybe you don't believe in the parachute, but do you believe in me? Well, yeah, you are the instructor. You know what you're doing, right? You've done this before, right, instructor? Yes, several hundred times. Okay, let's jump. And you say, oh, no, not so fast. Not so fast. It's okay, I'll be jumping with you. But what if I mess up? What, what if the thing doesn't open? Well, I'll pick you up. You are riding on me, you understand? And you go, come on, let's jump. And you say, well, I'm staying here in the plane. Don't you trust me? Well, apparently not. See, believe in the Bible, in the New Testament, that verb is very loaded. It's, it's not a philosophical assent to some truths that don't have any repercussions on you. No, it requires jumping. You know that. And you may today be hesitant in jumping. Whatever the jump is that you need to do today, you may be hesitant to do that. All right, so going back to the passage, the brothers have a very wonderful plan for Jesus' life. Do you see that? In their unbelief, it shows up in their plan for Jesus' life. And so they say, again, in verse 3, look at this, this is great. Great counsel, right? Great counsel. It makes sense from a human plane. Look, so his brother said to him, move on from here and go into Judea so that your disciples also there may see your works which you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself is striving to be known publicly. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Sounds good, huh? Sounds good. There are several problems with this statement. Number one, they wrongly assumed that Jesus wanted and needed and was striving for publicity. Wrong. Number two, they clearly emphasized the signs, the, the seeing of things, the seeing of works that your disciples may see. Show yourself to the world. Show your stuff. Show them what you've got. You understand? It's the, it's the, it's the famous, um, you know, see it to believe it mentality. Wrong, wrong. Number three, you need a bigger stage, Jesus. What are you doing here in Galilee? You are an aspiring teacher, preacher. Go to Jerusalem where the action is. Do you see? What I'm trying to show you is there is a clash of belief systems between his siblings and the Lord Jesus. So here is the response of Jesus along two lines of thought. Jesus said to them, verse 6, My time is not yet here, but your time is always ready. Which is hard to understand a little bit. My time is not yet here, but your time is always ready. Roman numeral 2, if you're following my outline, Roman numeral 2, the question of time. We saw the question of belief and unbelief, the question of time. What do you think about Jesus' response to his brothers? Strong response, even harsh, I would say. There is an implicit rebuke here by Jesus, okay? He's not, he's not playing nice. I mean, 
He's not sugarcoating anything. So it's like Jesus is saying to them, bros, brothers, you're getting this all wrong, right? You're misjudging my intentions. You're second-guessing my methods. You have me in the wrong place. And now you are getting my timing wrong. Don't tell me what I should be doing, how I should be doing it, where I should be doing it, or when I should be doing it. And you see, we are definitely not on the same page. There. Is there, let me ask you, what do you think? Is there a relationship between unbelief and misjudging God's time? Sure. Is there a relationship, even in our lives today, between Roman numeral one, unbelief, and Roman numeral two, time? Yes, yes, yes. Believing, believing means believing until the end of a certain process, right? That you are put through by the Lord. If you stop or I stop believing before the end, then you or I will tend to act prematurely before the right time. Isn't it true, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the hardest things to believe God about or trust God with has to do with His timing of things? Right? His timing doesn't make sense to us many times. Lord, I need this, but I need it now. Please manifest yourself to me now. And I sound a lot, lot like his brothers in this passage. And Jesus may be saying, well, yes, but not now. The right time is not yet here. Many of you know that, uh, because I've heard preachers mention from here, that there are at least two words in Greek for time, right? In the New Testament. There is chronos. Chronos, chronological time, the quantity of time. A week is a measure of chronos time. A month is a measure of chronos time. A century is a measure of chronos time. But Jesus does not use chronos here. He uses that second term, kairos, that has a different connotation in the Greek. All right? He uses kairos here. My kairos is not yet here, he says, but your kairos is always ready, which is hard to to believe, hard to understand. Kairos means a certain moment in time. Kairos means a certain singularity in time. Kairos means a time of superior quality, an appointed time, a time of grave consequence that requires either a response or a decision, or some step of faith, that is your kairos time. And that is the term that Jesus is using. I like the way the NIV uh, puts it, and I don't think that will be there, but the NIV says this, I think it's helpful. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. In other words, Brothers, my dear siblings, you, you recognize the quantity of time. You know what a minute is. 
you know what a day is, you know what a month is, you operate in chronos time, but you don't recognize the quality of time. The fact that some moments are more significant, of, of higher quality, let's say, than other times. There are hours that require a decision, for example, that cannot wait or that you can't postpone. Because if you fail to recognize that a Kairos moment is upon you or upon your family or, and you miss it for some reason, you will pay dearly. There are so many examples in the Bible of individuals, of people groups, even generations that missed their Kairos moments. And they paid the consequences dearly. And many of you know, you can think of so many people groups in the Bible that missed it. For example, three examples, quickly. The pre-flood generation of Noah's time. Jesus says, says about that generation, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Jesus says, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus saying the same mistake that those folks thousands of years ago made, not recognizing Kairos time, living only in the Kronos time, eating, what's for dinner today, honey? Drinking, marrying, giving marriage, coming to church, going from church, going to a movie, getting a promotion, getting another job, moving, Kronos, 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 and they missed their God-appointed time for some type of decision that was required of them. Jesus says, the last generation on the planet, even after the church is gone, you're not here, they will make the same mistake. The generation of the wilderness in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 13, same problem. They get out of Egypt by Moses, by the work, by the work of God, after 400 years of slavery, they get out of Egypt to the promised land. And two years later or so, they get to the promised land. They get to it. it. Didn't take 40 years. And in Numbers 13, we see that they refuse to enter because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. There are times that are more important than others. If you, if you or I miss, here's the point. If you or I miss one of our Kairos moments, we will pay with Kronos time. We, I mean, they were forced to wander in the desert 40 long years. It is costly to miss this moment. It is costly. And that is what Jesus is telling his brothers. You don't understand the clock, God's clock for this. All right, so the wilderness and then the generation of Jesus. How are we doing? The generation of Jesus. Luke chapter 19 relates one time Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he starts crying for the city. Remember? He starts weeping for Jerusalem. And Jesus says this, Would that you, if you had known on this day, even you, the conditions for peace, but now... They have been hidden from your eyes. 
there is peace for you, Jerusalem. There is peace, but there are some conditions associated with your peace. If you miss those conditions, and it's me, it has to do with me. You've been crying out for God's visitation upon you for centuries. You've been praying, you've been, you've been waiting for Yahweh to come and visit you, and you now are missing it. And this is what's going to happen to you. And Jesus says, uh, in verse uh, 44, and 40, yeah, and they will not leave you one stone, up, stone upon another. Talking about the Roman Empire that will come 40 years later. About 40 years later. There's something about the 40 years, right? Because you did not know the kairos of your visitation. You're missing it, guys. He's saying, God is paying you a visit right now. You've been waiting and crying out and praying for the time and you are now missing it. How about us? How about us? How about, how about you? What timing system are you operating under? And I'm asking the question to myself. I'm asking that question to myself. Roman numeral three, and I let you go, amen? You're not going to sleep on me, are you? No? At least one person, okay. <laughs> I am, it, it's, it's good, I need feedback. I really need, because I, I get discouraged here if I don't see a response, right? I mean, okay. Roman numeral three, the question of the world. Because Jesus ties the thing to the world. Listen, verse 7. Verse 7 of John chapter 7. Think, of, think about this response. It just kind of doesn't make any sense at first. The world, brothers, the world cannot hate you. But it hates me. Because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to the feast. Because, again, my time, my kairos, has not yet fully arrived. Now, having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee, and his brothers, ostensibly, went on to Jerusalem, doing that yearly pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem. Aren't you exaggerating a little, Jesus? I mean... You're talking about the world, they belonging to the world, the world hating you. Aren't you kind of uh, being too harsh on your brothers here? Well, no, well, no. And I think John is saying all these things to let us know. I cannot overemphasize enough that Jesus clearly saw their true motives here. He saw their true hearts here. I may be a little bit out to lunch here. You may disagree with this one, you know, but it almost sounds to me that Jesus is saying to them, like, you actually hate me, don't you? I'm a bother to you. I'm an inconvenience to you. You really don't want me around, do you? I mean... You really want me to go to Jerusalem to get killed? Is that it, guys? That's what it sounds like. Wow. Because, see, the, the issue is we're on different teams. The world hates me, and by implication, you, dear brothers, belong to that system. I'm on another team. That This is very offensive. Think about it. 
This is very radical. Jesus talking to his siblings in this manner. Wow. You are in the world and the world hates me. And the reason the world hates me is because of the content of my message. Because I say hard things like, your deeds are evil. Of course, who wants to hear that? I say hard things like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I say hard things like, come back to God, come back to covenant. Your dislike for my speech and for the content of my speech is more powerful than any visual sign that I may present to you. In fact, you've seen sign after sign after sign after sign from me, and you still don't believe. I have healed people. I have converted water to wine. I have given sight to the blind. I have fed thousands of people. I, I have calmed storms. I have taken demons out of people. And in spite of all that, you keep asking for more and more signs because of unbelief. You do not believe. So, it, it, that's, a hard, that's a hard answer. Let me give you, in, in, to finish, two principles that I think are related to what Jesus is saying. Do you sense that there's some hostility there? I hope you do. There is some hostility here between Jesus and, and, his, and his own family because of his message. So principle number one, let, let me put it this way. Human relations, human bonds in the spiritual plane are superior, are stronger, are more binding than merely familial ones or bloodlines. Wow, and this may, some of you that may be visiting say, well, wait a second, I love my family. Yeah, yeah, please don't understand, don't, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Don't, this is not about your, you not loving your folks, not respecting your family, your family traditions, your family honor systems, your family, whatever. No, no, this is not about that. This is about understanding that the relationships that result from a common spiritual belief system are stronger, should be stronger, cut deeper often than blood relationships in themselves. Very, very radical notion for that culture and also for us. If you don't think I'm, I'm right, let me, let me read to you Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, 46 on. I think this may be the background for what our passage for today. I mean, I probably should have read this before at the beginning of this message. Listen to this. Let me, tell me if this is not absolutely nuts, radical. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who was telling him and said, who's my mother? And who are my brothers? And extending his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. <laughs> and some of us are saying, I don't know what to do with that. What to do with that? That is one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard. But it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. It, because at the bottom line, it's a, it's a battle of two kingdoms, see? It's a battle of two kingdoms. Principle number two, consequently, his message divides 
cuts through even through the most sacred or deep family relationships or blood relationships, maybe because of the nature of the message. It's that polarizing, ladies and gentlemen. That is the gospel. This is hard to hear. In Matthew 10, he says, Do not think that I have to bring, come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies, because of my message, will be, or they may be, the members of his own household. And he puts the nail in the coffin when he says, The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of, of me. And the one who loves son or daughter more than me, he's not worthy of me. This is tough, tough stuff. Because at the bottom of this is the issue, issue of two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world the kingdom of God. And the relationships forged in the spiritual realm many times are more intense, more powerful, are more binding than just physical or biological relationships. We address each other as brother and sister here, don't you? And the reason we do that is because we are. It's that deep. It's that profound. It's real. It's real. It's real. And so that's the passage for today. That's the passage for today. I'm done. I'm almost done. Jesus tells his siblings, you guys go to Jerusalem. Do your religious thing, you know. But my time is not here yet. I'm staying put here. But he does go. And we'll see next Sunday that he, in fact, does go to the feast, but not in the way and not on the terms that his brothers presented to him. Right? So, do you believe? Are you struggling with belief today? Is there a a silent crisis of belief? Are you cherry-picking belief things that you believe and things you don't? I really hope and I trust that you can think about this, these things. We are living in tough times, no question about it. Are you living on Kairos time or on Kronos time? And then number three, do you, are you aware? Are you aware that the world will hate you? Be, not be, it's nothing personal against you. It's, it's about Christ. They hated him they will hate you if you and I persevere and, and, and believe and live in His will and all that stuff. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. We are living in tough times, but He will prevail. We are in a good family. His time is not our time. You can count on that. And I hope these words are of encouragement to you. Okay? So let me pray for us. And we're done. Father God, we come to you. And we may be more aware than usual after this message that we're just so needy. That we're just so fragile. 
Lord, if, if we have compromised some of our cardinal beliefs of the faith because of sheer discouragement, maybe, we're just plain discouraged or something, I pray that we may renew a vision for you and your word and the non-negotiables of your word. Lord, we want to live in, in your timing for our lives. We want to be characterized by people that believe you and believe you until the very last consequence. And Lord, we thank you that we have the power that you give us against the forces of the devil, the forces of the flesh, the forces of the world. We want to be conquerors through you. Please help us today. Make us strong in our Christian walk. We want to change. We need you. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.